We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. This is going to be our uh, second-to-last <laughs> version of The Jazz Show in our old studio. And we're going to do one more, and after that we're going to be in our new premises. And um, looking really, really nice. It's going to be very, uh, very slick and um, really nice, brand-new very clean and uh, very up-to-date surroundings. So we're all looking forward to that. But anyway, that's uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we're on radio, so you can't see it. If we were on TV, then I could take you around, but uh, um, there's no way that I'm going to uh, describe the studio. But uh, if you ever drop up to the new sub-building, it's really looking nice, and uh, you'll be able to see uh, where our studios are in the uh, brand new sub building, which will be opening, I think, officially sometime in August. The whole building will be open with uh, shops and all kinds of stuff in there. Anyway, uh, be that as it may, uh, welcome to the Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're a regular feature on CITR every Monday evening with some of the very best in jazz music. I don't know. Um, many people are at the uh, Jazz Festival events um, this evening because they're ongoing, of course, and they will be ongoing until the 1st of July, Canada Day, which is the official end of the Jazz Festival, but there's so much more to see. But for those of you that are sitting by your radio this evening, we have a, a treat for you, and our jazz feature is coming up right away. We'll be doing a quite a bit of stuff later on uh, on the show, including a lengthy tribute to the late, great Ornette Coleman, which I didn't get around to doing last week uh, because we reserved the space for an interview with uh, Eli, the great uh, young uh, saxophonist, and... Um, talking to him and uh, at length with his uh, Eli Bennett. And uh, I couldn't think of his last name. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, Eli Bennett. And, of course, he's one of the most prominent young saxophonists. And we, uh, we did a lengthy interview with him. And, of course, he's uh, going on a cross-Canada tour with his band. And uh, a very, very exciting and uh, adventurous and uh, creative young musician. I think he's uh, really showing that uh, Vancouver has produced... Uh, some very major jazz talent, and uh, I certainly hope he gets all the recognition he deserves. So we reserved the uh, show last week for uh, for Eli, and um, I didn't get around to playing any tributes to Ornette Coleman. So we'll be doing that later on in the show. But our jazz feature tonight, and that's what we're opening the show with, is a band called the Jazz Tet. And the Jazz Tet was created... Um, long about 1960, by two gentlemen, wonderful practitioners of their instruments, trumpeter Art Farmer, who is one of Charles Mingus's favorite musicians because he loved Art Farmer for his original approach to the trumpet and his uh, incredible musicianship. Art Farmer could be given a a score in classical music and read it off cold on the paper from the paper and and play it, uh, and then he could be uh, playing in a jazz band the next night, and of course was a great individual soloist, a wonderful musician, and his partner 
was the very astute and very erudite and uh, very wonderful tenor saxophonist who grew up with John Coltrane and Jimmy Heath in that uh, fine city of Philadelphia, which was a, a real jazz capital, and I'm talking about Benny Golson. And the nice thing about Benny Golson is that he is still very much alive and, uh, and playing all the time. And, of course, uh, he came out to Vancouver, um, visited Corey Weed's cellar. I guess it was, it was a couple of years ago, and it was a great visit by this uh, iconic tenor saxophonist. So Art Farmer and Benny Golson put their heads together. They had had, a, by that time, by 1960, they had a broad experience in jazz music and had been part of uh, many great bands, and they decided that they had a mutual uh, musical admiration society. They were both good writers and arrangers, especially Benny Golson, and they wanted to form a three-horn front, uh, or a three-horn in the front uh, band. In other words, uh, trumpet, trombone, and tenor saxophone on the front line with piano, bass, and drums. And they picked a wonderful trombonist. Curtis Fuller was the first trombonist in the jazz tet. Uh, Curtis didn't stay very long. He stayed for a couple of months and then moved on and joined Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and he was replaced by a couple of other trombone players in the band. Um, the first rhythm section that the band had was a young man from Philadelphia that Benny Golson wanted on piano. And his name, you might recognize it, McCoy Tyner. This was his first major job. And uh, this was before he joined John Coltrane and went on to uh, being part of that whole legendary uh, Coltrane Quartet. So this was his first important gig was the piano player in the jazz tet, McCoy Tyner. On bass was Art Farmer's twin brother. You couldn't tell them apart. They were identical twins. And um, Addison Farmer was the bassist. I remember an interview with Art Farmer <laughs> by somebody. They, they said, how can you, uh, I can't tell you guys apart. Um, and Art says, neither can I. Uh, he said, the only way I can do it, he says, when I wake up in the morning, if I can't play bass, I'm not Addison. And uh, that's, the way he, that's the way Art answered, very uh, uh, funny, dry humor. Anyway, uh, Addison Farmer, the late Addison Farmer, was on bass. And a wonderful drummer, another Philadelphia guy, um, kind of forgotten these days, but he was a, a very, um, he had a great admirer. Philly Joe Jones thought that Lex Humphreys was one of the finest drummers on the planet. And that's the drummer uh, in the jazz tet, the first drummer, Lex Humphreys. So, with um, the personnel intact, they went into, um, they, they signed a contract with Argo Records, which was the jazz division of chess records run by the Chess Brothers out of Chicago. And they signed an exclusive contract with um, Argo, which was the, uh, the jazz division of Chess Records, and uh, made a whole series of albums. Uh, I guess they recorded about six or seven albums before they disbanded. The only thing that separated this band, I think, from other groups of the time and was the fact that 
they didn't have the charismatic leadership that Cannonball Adderley could have, could provide or Art Blakey, and uh, and yet this band was entirely musical and very uh, well organized, very very disciplined band, and uh, there were no. Um, they showed up on time for gigs and they were very responsible and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the one thing about uh, this band was that it was, as I said before, very tight, very musical, and the arrangements were great, mostly um, by Benny Golson. So we're going to uh, hear 10 tunes from their first um, album and we begin with a great tune by a Canadian, as a matter of fact. He wrote this tune. His name was Leroy Anderson, and he wrote this tune, delightful melody called Serenata. And uh, then we go from there to uh, a George Gershwin, uh, George and Ira Gershwin tune from the, the opera Porgy and Bess, and their version of It Ain't Necessarily So. Then uh, an old standard uh, written by Al Jolson and uh, Vincent Rose, Avalon. Great, great tune, great old tune with uh, great chord progressions. Then Benny Golson's most famous tune, uh, his beautiful ballad dedicated to the late, great Clifford Brown, I Remember Clifford, tune number four. Then another Benny Golson composition that uh, was a big hit for Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and that's the Blues March. Then we go to a Cole Porter tune called It's All Right With Me, then another beautiful uh, Benny Golson composition, one that I like very much. It's called Park Avenue Petite. And then we move to an Art Farmer composition called Mox Nix. Great tune. And then we go from there to a famous old ballad that Billie Holiday uh, put on the map, a tune by uh, Ralph Ranger and Leo Rubin called Easy Living. And the final tune, we're going to hear a narration by Benny Golson, a spoken narration. He's going to explain what the tune is all about. And the tune was another one of his famous compositions. It's called Killer Joe. And that's a tune that later on, I think 10 years later, Quincy Jones um, revisited and did his arrangement of this tune, and it became quite a hit once again. And it was a hit when Benny Golson wrote it initially, and this is the very first version of that tune we're going to hear. So that's it. That's the repertoire of the Jazz Tet. Um, they recorded all of this in February of 1960. So once again, the personnel, Art Farmer on trumpet, Benny Golson on tenor saxophone, Curtis Fuller on trombone, and the recording debut of pianist McCoy Tyner. Addison Farmer on bass and Lex Humphreys on drums, and we begin with Leroy Anderson's Serenata.
like you to meet a friend of ours who goes by the name of Killer Joe. Picture a so-called hippie or hip cat standing on a corner in a neatly pressed double-breasted form-fitting pinstripe suit, a pair of pointed-toed shoes with bold white stitches around the soles, a black shirt, long white tie, a black pencil mustache, and of course a very wide-brimmed black felt hat. Killer Joe always has a pocket full of loot, but only the kind that jingles. You see, he likes to play the horses. He is most certainly a ladies' man. As a matter of fact, he is always willing to accept cash contributions from them for any cause, namely his own. The most important thing about Killer Joe that you have to know is that he's very much against manual labor. Killer Joe. <laughs> Thank 
Killer Joe. And that's our jazz feature this evening. Yeah, Killer Joe. <laughs> A man of dubious distinction. Yes, that was the debut recording of a very fine band that was uh, in existence for about two and a half years um, in the early 60s in, uh, on the jazz scene, the national and international jazz scene. Very fine group and uh, extremely well organized and musical and uh, led by a couple of very, very fine musicians. Art Farmer on trumpet was one of the co-leaders and tenor saxophonist, arranger, composer, Benny Golson, who is still very much alive. I'm very happy about that. And those two guys put their heads together and said, you know, we want a band, and uh, we'd like to have a three-horn front line. And so the first person that they discussed this with was trombonist Curtis Fuller, and he was the first trombonist in the band. So that was the front line, Art Farmer, Curtis Fuller and Benny Golson on trumpet, trombone, and tenor saxophone, respectively. On piano, Benny Golson chose a young man who was yet to be discovered by the world, and this was his debut recording and the first major band that he was involved in, and I'm talking about McCoy Tyner on piano. On bass was Art Farmer's twin brother, Addison, the late Addison Farmer, and on drums, a very fine um, young drummer from Philadelphia who went on to play with Donald Byrd and a variety of other bands and uh, was a great favorite and also was a student of Philly Joe Jones's. And I'm talking about Lex Humphreys on drums. The tunes we heard from their very first album, which was recorded for the... Uh, jazz division of chess records and the jazz division was called Argo Records and um, this was all recorded in February of 1960 and most of the arrangements are by Benny Golson and we opened with um, an arrangement of a tune written by a Canadian composer by the name of Leroy Anderson he wrote a tune, very melodic tune called Serenata then we heard the George and Ira Gershwin tune from the Porgy and Bess opera called It Ain't Necessarily So. And then we moved to an old standard by Al Jolson, goes back to the 20s, as a matter of fact, great tune called Avalon, up-tempo. Then, of course, we heard this great tribute to the late Clifford Brown, who Benny Golson was very close to, and he wrote the tune on hearing of Clifford Brown's demise in a car accident, and he wrote this beautiful melody played by Art Farmer very lovingly, I Remember Clifford. Then we moved on to uh, Benny Golson's, uh, one of his first hits, as a matter of fact, that he wrote the tune when he was a member of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers in 1958, and he wrote this tune called Blues March, and it became a big hit for Art Blakey. As a matter of fact, Art Blakey played that tune till the day he died, and um, great tune. Then we moved to a Cole Porter tune called It's All Right With Me, up-tempo tune featuring Curtis Fuller on trombone. Then another very melodic Benny Cole Golson original called 
Park Avenue Petite. Then um, a tune by Art Farmer, the co-leader, a tune based on the minor blues uh, progressions, and it's called Mox Nicks. And then um, Benny Golson's uh, lovely tenor saxophone, Caressed, very beautiful ballad by Robin and Ranger that uh, Billie Holiday made famous, a tune called Easy Living. And then we heard the voice of Benny Golson introducing and telling you all about who Killer Joe was, <laughs> who inspired him, mythical character, of course, inspired him to write this tune, which uh, actually became a big hit for Quincy Jones about 10 years later. But it was also a big hit for this band and one of the most requested tunes. And the tune we, the final tune of the date, Killer Joe, Benny Golson's tune. So there you have it. That was the Jazz Tet. Once again, Art Farmer on trumpet, Benny Golson, tenor saxophone, Curtis Fuller, trombone, McCoy Tyner, making his international or national debut on piano, Addison Farmer on bass, and Lex Humphreys on drums. We hope you enjoyed our jazz feature presentation this evening. We've got more music to uh, deliver to you until uh, right up until past midnight, including, uh, as we will be doing later on in the show, a tribute to the late, great, and innovative, that wonderful visionary of jazz, Ornette Coleman. Right now... We have um, something to tell you about. And we'd like to tell you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker. Here is an important message. a whole lot to say about the weather uh, that's uh, negative. It's been so beautiful and warm and uh, just delightful, especially for so many of the outdoor events that uh, were happening, uh, say, yesterday, for instance, uh, Aboriginal Day, the Dragon Boat Festival, the Jazz Festival, the Car Free Days uh, all over the city, um, Main Street, uh, Commercial Drive. And um, this good weather is going to continue uh, for all intents and purposes right into the long weekend next weekend, of course, which is going to end with uh, Canada Day on July 1st. Anyway, tonight is clear with a low of 13. Tomorrow is going to be sunny with a low of 13 and a high of 21. Then uh, we're going to uh, go to Wednesday. It's going to be cloudy but still warm with a low of 13 and a high of 22. Then we're going to be back to sunshine again on Thursday, and it's really going to warm up. Low of 15 and highs between 24 and a tropical 28. We're getting up there. Friday is going to be sunny again with a low of 16 and a high of 25, and Saturday more of the same. So 
there you go for uh, the weather. All right. And uh, we do have uh, something to tell you about, and we will do it right now. To know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. You know, uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, well, several concerts, as a matter of fact, uh, of the Jazz Festival. One concert I am looking forward to is featuring a legendary musician who goes right back to the 1940s when he was known as Little Bird. And um, he started out his career as an alto saxophonist and sounded just like Charlie Parker, which is why they called him Little Bird. And then, of course, picked up the bigger horn, which he became um, more prominently known. Um, and, of course, was a wonderful composer. He's had a, an incredible history in jazz music. He grew up with such people as John Coltrane and Benny Golson were, were two of his closest friends. And, of course, he was a member of one of the most prominent musical families in Philadelphia. And I'm talking about Jimmy Heath. And Jimmy Heath is coming to Vancouver for two performances. He's going to be here on Friday and Saturday uh, at the Pyatt Hall. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Heath is a true legend. He's in his mid-80s now. He is what they call the Middle Heath brother. Now, his big brother, Percy Heath, passed away a couple of years ago, one of the greatest of all bass players. And little brother, Tootie Heath, drummer, is still very much with us. And uh, Jimmy Heath was the middle brother. And Jimmy, of course, was, uh, plays the tenor saxophone, the soprano saxophone, and writes some great tunes. And we're going to hear um, one of my favorite albums by Jimmy Heath. It was recorded in the mid-'70s with uh, uh, the Cadillac of rhythm sections. We're going to hear Barry Harris on piano, who, again, is still with us, the late great Sam Jones on bass, and the late Billy Higgins on drums. This is from an album called A Picture of Heath, and it came out on Xanadu Records. Um, very interestingly enough, you know, a lot of these Xanadu recordings have not ever been made available on CDs, and um, there was some, something to do with the company and so on and so forth, but the, the label has been bought, and they're going to start reissuing a lot of these classic Xanadu recordings on CDs. And, of course, we hope uh, they find extra stuff and alternate takes and all this kind of stuff that goes along with uh, a CD issue. But it'll be nice to see a lot of this stuff resurface once again because they've been hard to find in the last few years. And um, this is a great record. Picture of Heath, it gives you an idea of the greatness of Jimmy Heath, we're going to hear uh, three tunes. 
The first one is a Jimmy Heath composition that I've always liked. It's called For Minors Only. And the reason it's called that is because it's a minor key blues, one of my personal favorite forms. And the second tune is the immortal Johnny Green composition. We're going to hear Jimmy play both soprano and tenor saxophone on this. And, of course, he's going to deliver his version of Body and Soul. And then we're going to close the Jimmy Heath set with another famous composition called CTA, Jimmy Heath. The great and still with us, Jimmy Heath. He'll be in Vancouver this weekend uh, at the Jazz Festival. Check him out. And you can check him out right here.
Thank <laughs> you. 
Mr. James Heath, Jimmy Heath, from an album, a great album called Picture of Heath, and that featured uh, Jimmy Heath with, uh, as I mentioned, the Cadillac of rhythm sections, Barry Harris at the piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And we heard three tunes, two of which were composed by Jimmy Heath. The first one was called For Miners Only, and the second, of course, was Johnny Green's immortal classic, uh, interpreted um, by Jimmy on both soprano saxophone and tenor saxophone, and, of course, he delivered body and soul. And the final tune was a famous Jimmy Heath composition called C.T.A. And um, he actually um, composed that for um, a date with J.J. Uh, Johnson. And uh, um, not J.J. <laughs> Johnson. He composed other tunes for that date. I'm talking about a date with Miles Davis, a famous date uh, done in 1953, and Jimmy was part of that band, and he composed that tune for that particular record date, and uh, that was the first version of it, and of course we heard um, a later version from uh, from this album, CTA. Great tune. And of course, a little taste of the tremendous uh, talent that is uh, packaged in a very small man. He's uh, only, he's he's very short, um, almost tiny, as a matter of fact, but sure gets a big sound out of that saxophone. And, of course, he's one of the legendary uh, practitioners of modern jazz. Jimmy Heath has been on the scene since the late 1940s and, of course, has uh, carried on with a, a great long career in the music. The Middle Heath brother, as he is known, and... Uh, He's going to be in Vancouver for two performances at the Pyatt Hall uh, at 843 Seymour Street, of course, and that's part of the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. And both of these, um, both of his shows are uh, productions by the gentleman that owned the cellar, Corey Weeds. And uh, Jimmy will be performing with uh, some of our finest resident musicians, and it'll, it'll be a, a real honor to have Mr. Heath uh, here in Vancouver. We're going to change the pace. Actually, we're going to feature another tenor saxophonist, but this time very, very different. And the music is more reflective of an earlier era of jazz. It's very um, bassy-flavored music because all of these guys, uh, with the exception of the piano player here, are all veterans of um, various editions of the Count Basie Orchestra. And some of these guys go back to uh, when the orchestra first came on the scene in, in the 30s. And um, the gentleman in question, the leader of the band, is a guy who was sadly over, not overlooked. Um, he, just, he was criticized uh, when he came on the scene as a copyist. They said he, he, he aped uh, the tenor saxophone stylings of Lester Young. I don't think so. Sonny Stitt got the same kind of thing when he was playing alto. People said, oh, he's just imitating Bird. Ain't so. No, just use your ears. Paul Quinichet, very, very distinctive tenor saxophone player, one of my favorites, as a matter of fact. I love the way he plays. 
Yes, he is a direct descendant of the Lester Young school of tenor saxophone playing, and he is probably the closest uh, tenor saxophone sound you're going to get to Lester Young's. But Paul Quinochet interpreted that whole language very differently from Lester Young and developed his own individual language. The kid from Denver, as he was known as, and unfortunately, his career kind of fizzled in the early 60s. There wasn't much demand for the kind of music that he felt closest to. And um, he basically retired from music, took a course, uh, and became a, an expert TV repairman and opened his own business and sort of played music on the side, which is really too bad um, because he, I always thought he was a major um, tenor saxophonist, and he was very popular in the 50s, even though the critics didn't um, really uh, praise him a lot. So we're going to hear Paul Quinochet from an album called Basie Reunion, and uh, a few tunes from there before we get into our Ornette Coleman stuff. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this. This is uh, music with, as I said, a, a Basie feel, as you can gather. And all, all these people are alumnuses of Count Basie, uh, the Count Basie Orchestra. Paul Quinochet on tenor saxophone. He's leading the band. Two trumpet players, Buck Clayton, who goes back to the Basie band in the 30s on trumpet, and another great trumpet player, underrated guy, Shad Collins. And on baritone saxophone, Jack Washington, little Jack Washington, little short man. Boy, he sure got a big sound out of that Barry. And uh, he was the baritone saxophonist in the original Count Basie band, Jack Washington. On piano, someone who could play a lot like Basie and was a great arranger in his own right, Nat Pierce, perfect pianist for here. And, of course, um, three guys that were all part at one time or another of the Count Basie rhythm section. Basie's main man on guitar, Freddie Green, Eddie Jones on bass, and Papa Joe Jones on drums. And uh, we're going to hear three tunes. The first one is Love Jumped Out, a uh, classic by Buck Clayton. Then we're going to hear a blues. It's called Blues I Like to Hear, and is written by Professor Buster Smith. And the final tune we're going to hear is a thing by um, Eddie Durham and Count Basie called John's Idea. So three tunes from this wonderful album called Basie Reunion, and the leader is the great Paul Quinochet.
From a wonderful album called Basie Reunion, and we heard Paul Quinochet on tenor saxophone leading the band. Paul Quinochet with uh, two trumpet players, Shad Collins and Buck Clayton, both um, alumni from the original Count Basie Orchestra, and the baritone saxophone of Jack Washington, another original member of uh, the legendary. 30s Basie Band, and on piano, a wonderful player who was an arranger, composer, and uh, could also kind of conjure up um, that great Basie style on piano, Nat Pierce, and Freddie Green on guitar, Eddie Jones on bass, and Papa Joe Jones, no relation, on drums. 
All of this was recorded um, in Rudy Van Gelder's studio in September of 1958 and issued on a prestige album called Basie Reunion. Paul Quinichet, I think a very underrated tenor saxophone player. I'll tell you who loved Paul Quinichet. Totally different styles. They even recorded together an album was John Coltrane. He held uh, Quinichet in very high esteem. And... uh, as I said, wonderful player. We heard uh, three tunes, Love Jumped Out, written by Buck Clayton, and then a blues called Blues I Like to Hear, written by Professor Buster Smith, who was one of Charlie Parker's first influences. And the final tune was um, a Count Basie staple from the 30s, written uh, by Basie and Eddie Durham, called John's Idea. All right, Paul Quinichet. We're going to move now to our tribute that... Uh, well, but just before we do that, I'd like to um, bring up two websites. Of course, we're right in the middle of the jazz festival, so it doesn't take much effort, those of you that are at home this evening, to uh, get onto your computer and check out all of the things that are happening at the jazz festival. There's tons of free stuff. Absolutely, you can go out any day of the week and hear some great sample um, music, free music, doesn't cost you a dime. You just have to find the time to go out and check it out uh, on Granville Island, various various venues, and you can get all that information as well as ticketed concerts that are happening all week by going to the coastaljazz.ca website. Coastaljazz.ca. That'll give you all the information. You can buy tickets. You can do all that sort of stuff. Uh, on that very, very comprehensive website. It's very friendly, easy to get around. And, of course, another fine website is the website of the VancouverJazz.com, which is put together by my good friend Brian Nation. And, of course, that's a very comprehensive website as well. And uh, um, I always uh, mention, I didn't get around to mentioning it last week, but a very good um, repairman. And musician is my friend Ken Speller. And uh, if you are a player of the saxophone, the clarinet, the flute, um, you know that you have to uh, maintain those instruments and keep them in shape so that you sound as good as you possibly can. And uh, Ken Speller is a good man to know. He's located in North Vancouver at 13th and Lonsdale area. And he can be reached by telephone at 778 800 1933, and um, Mr. Speller um, will uh, accommodate you. He does his repairs from his shop at home, so he keeps his costs down. He doesn't believe in uh, overcharging musicians because he knows that uh, musicians of all stripes (laughs) usually don't have a lot of money, and you know, sometimes they uh, let their instruments go into disrepair because they don't have the money to to uh, do the upkeep. And uh, Ken is very, um, very reasonable in his costs. So he, as I said, he can be reached at uh, 778-800-1933. That's his phone number. Or you can reach him uh, via email at kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Ornette Coleman. As I mentioned before, we had uh, young Eli Bennett on the show last week, and uh, we filled up the remaining time with an interview 
with Eli about all his uh, adventures and his cross Canada tour, and we um, decided to postpone an Ornette Coleman tribute to tonight. And Mr. Coleman, of course, as uh, the world knows, passed away uh, June the 11th. 2015, and he was 85 years old. A good long life. He was born March the 9th, 1930, in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, Ornette Coleman, of course, is one of the musical visionaries. He really, um, his his stylings on the alto saxophone, of course, were um, not only controversial, but individual. He came out um, and, and, of course, revolutionized um, music and uh, changed the way we listen to jazz and changed the way so many players um, interpret the music as well. He really was a true visionary, and um, although some people find his music uh, unsettling and abrasive, um, there is nothing on this earth quite like the music of Ornette Coleman. And... um, Sometimes it's it's simply a matter of opening your musical ears and uh, accepting those sounds. What Ornette really brought uh, was a, a primal, um, not really a primal scream, but the 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 the, the primal uh, feel back to jazz music through his alto saxophone work. You can really definitely it this comes from deep within his 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 playing and it's so um expressive and we're going to listen to a music that was um a couple of tunes as a matter of fact three tunes from an album that really was the um beginning of Ornette Coleman's influence on jazz music in general. He had done a few albums before this. But this album really struck home with a lot of people. He uh, had moved to New York, and um, he had spent uh, a summer at the Lenox School of Music. Him, uh, Ornette Coleman, and his partner, uh, cornetist uh, and uh, uh, trumpeter Don Cherry. And uh, both of these guys had spent there, but then that was Ornette's ticket to New York City. And, uh, of course, they had already made their debut at the Five Spot, caused all kinds of controversy there. Um, There were people that were for and against their music. Um, John Lewis was one of Ornette Coleman's biggest supporters, and here was a a rather conservative musician. And uh, Leonard Bernstein was absolutely enamored with Ornette Coleman's music. As a matter of fact, he, he, after Ornette's performance at the Five Spot, um, (laughs) Bernstein jumped on the stage and embraced Coleman and said this was the most incredible music he had ever heard. So this kind of thing. And then, of course, uh, Ornette also had his major detractors as well. Uh, People called him out for being, uh, they said he was a phony, uh, he he couldn't play, uh, couldn't play his way out of a paper bag, all this kind of stuff. So there was this incredible controversy over his music, and it remained right until his death. Um, and, uh, so with that in mind, we're simply going to listen to the music of Ornette Coleman. And, uh, this is a small tribute to his, uh, great legacy. And I hope you enjoy, um, we're going to play three selections from this album, which was really the big mover and shaker of, um, 
Ornet, and uh, it opened the door to a lot of people, um, his music. And it was issued on Atlantic Records, and it was called The Shape of Jazz to Come, and it featured his first quartet. Ornette Coleman on alto saxophone, Don Cherry on pocket trumpet, which is a, a small kind of a trumpet. That's why it was called a pocket trumpet. The great Charlie Hayden on bass, who was the ideal bassist for Ornette, and the incredible Billy Higgins on drums. Three Ornette Coleman compositions we're going to hear from this album. The first one is one of his classics. It's called Lonely Woman. The second tune is called Eventually. And the third tune is called Peace, our tribute to Ornette Coleman.
We're doing a tribute, of course, to the music of the late and incredible Ornette Coleman. And this was his first working band, which uh, comprised of himself on alto saxophone, Don Cherry on pocket trumpet, Charlie Hayden on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And we heard three tunes from an album that uh, really put the uh, Ornette Coleman Quartet on the map and uh, really brought to this album, um, was listened to by many and assessed and of course it's now a classic it doesn't it really is interesting to listen to this music and realize how radical it sounded to the ears of uh, jazz fans back then in the early 60s and divided uh, the jazz community uh, into um, haters of Ornette Coleman or lovers of Ornette Coleman's music and uh, very strange because Really, when you listen to this music, it sounds so natural and free and um, simply uh, very, very human. We heard three tunes, uh, all composed by Ornette Coleman. The first one was called Lonely Woman. The second tune, the more up-tempo tune, was called Eventually. And the last tune, the very meditative um, composition called Peace. We're going to hear two more by the same band. Uh, from a different recording session, and from a different album. This is uh, an album that, again, came out on Atlantic Records, and uh, was called Change of the Century. And, uh, you know, some of these titles, like The Shape of Jazz to Come, uh, Tomorrow is the Question, Change of the Century, um, that was widely criticized by some of the people that didn't like Ornette Coleman's music. And they said that he was responsible for putting these um, titles on the album, and uh, they felt that um, you know this this he didn't justify uh, doing this. Well, he didn't put those titles on the album; they were titled by the record producers, and um, th- there was nothing Ornette Coleman could do. He just played the music, uh, titled the tunes, and that was it. Um, the record companies, of course, uh, put the uh, pictures on the cover and the all that kind of production was out of Ornette's uh, hands, so it wasn't his doing to title those albums that way. And still, um, (laughs) when you look back, it was all true. It was new music, and it was change of the century, and it was tomorrow is the question or the shape of jazz to come, all that kind of stuff. It was all really true. So we're going to hear two tunes from this um, album called Change of the Century. We're going to hear Ramblin', which is basically a blues, and Ornette was one hell of a blues player. And uh, the next tune after that was a a thing, a charming piece of music, which has been recorded by many people called Uno Muy Bonita. So two tunes by Ornette Coleman, the same personnel, uh, Don Cherry on pocket trumpet, Charlie Hayden on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And, of course, Mr. Coleman on alto saxophone.
Two tunes from Ornette Coleman's Atlantic album called Change of the Century, still with his uh, first quartet, and we heard Ramblin' and Una Mai Bonita, and both compositions, of course, by Mr. Coleman, with uh, Ornette on alto saxophone, Don Cherry on pocket trumpet, Charlie Hayden on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And, of course, that was the first edition of the Ornette Coleman Quartet. We're going to listen to something now with uh, a later edition. Uh, again, it's an Atlantic recording, and um, it uh, was simply called Ornette. And uh, this is an incredible um, date with, uh, once again, uh, Don Cherry on pocket trumpet, but uh, some different people in the rhythm section, the great late Scott LaFarrell on bass, and from New Orleans, a drummer that uh, became a huge part of uh, Ornette Coleman's band, and someone that uh, he had wanted for a long time, um, but was, uh, didn't want to leave home. And when he finally did, he ended up playing with Ornette Coleman. I'm talking about Ed Blackwell on drums, Eddie Blackwell. And so we have uh, Ornette Coleman on alto saxophone, Don Cherry on pocket trumpet, Scott LaFaro on bass, and Eddie Blackwell on drums. And this is a composition, uh, just three letters, and it's called W-R-U. Ornette Coleman.
That long track was from an album called Simply Ornette, and uh, it came out uh, on Atlantic Records. It's one of those albums that a lot of people kind of missed out on, and I think it's one of Ornette's finest albums. There's only four tunes on the original um, um, vinyl album, and on, on the CD they added one more tune uh, from the same session. And uh, Ornette, of course, sounds great. And so does Don Cherry on this album. And the interesting thing is, is the change in rhythm section with the great Scott LaFaro, the late great Scott LaFaro, who died far too young on bass. And from New Orleans, a wonderful drummer that took Billy Higgins' place in the band, Eddie Blackwell, Edward Blackwell. And this was recorded in January of 1961, January 31st, 1961, uh, for Atlantic Records. And uh, the tune, interesting, uh, tricky little tune, was called WRU, just initials. We go to a later recording now by Ordan Coleman. This is a rather special um, date because it was done for Blue Note Records, and Things had changed <laughs> in, in the personnel department, and uh, Ornette had gone through some kind of uh, all sorts of personnel changes and different, different styles of music. He had a trio um, for a while, and uh, now he was recording with Dewey Redman, who was the father of Joshua Redman, who's coming to Vancouver, as a matter of fact. Uh, Dewey Redman uh, is on tenor saxophone here, and Ornette and Dewey hooked up. Dewey was originally from Fort Worth, so he knew Ornette for many, many years, even though Dewey was, uh, I knew Dewey from his San Francisco days when he was playing more or less straight up and straight ahead jazz. But uh, in the uh, 70s, in the 60s, uh, Dewey hooked up with uh, Ornette Coleman, and they established a mutual musical admiration society and uh, formed a group and the Ornette Coleman Quartet. But a very special rhythm section on here is the rhythm section, of course, that was, and unfortunately it was after his passing, but this was the rhythm section that played with John Coltrane, was part of the John Coltrane Classic Quartet. Jimmy Garrison on bass and Elvin Jones on drums, along with Dewey Redman on tenor saxophone, and Ornette Coleman on alto saxophone. We're going to open uh, the set. We're going to play two tunes from this uh, wonderful album called New York Is Now. And we're going to open the set with a thing called the Broadway Blues. And we're going to follow that with a composition called Round Trip with this uh, same band. So we hope you enjoy the uh, ever-evolving music of uh, Ornette Coleman. We're paying tribute to this great visionary musician, and I hope you're enjoying the music of Ornette Coleman. So here we go with the Broadway Blues. All right, I goofed. 
that's an okay track too. But I, <laughs> I want to, I want to play the Broadway blues, and that wasn't the Broadway blues. I had it on the wrong track. Okay, here we go, the Broadway blues. <laughs>
two tunes from uh, this album called New York Is Now with uh, a new combination by Ornette Coleman. Ornette, of course, on alto saxophone along with the great late Dewey Redman on tenor saxophone and two gentlemen who were part of the legendary John Coltrane Quartet, Jimmy Garrison on bass and Elvin Jones on drums, all recorded in uh, April and May of 1968 in New York City. We're going to conclude uh, our Ornette Coleman tribute and conclude the show with uh, a piece, it's untitled, from his uh, album called Sound Grammar. And this is the album that won the Pulitzer Prize. And uh, we're going to hear Ornette, of course, on alto saxophone, and his son, Denardo, on drums and percussion, and two bass players, Gregory Cohen and Tony Falanga, on bass. And um, this is a, a, a piece of music that, uh, as I said before, won, uh, won the Pulitzer Prize. The whole album did, but uh, there are no titles of these individual pieces. They, they, they just play. So that's how we're going to conclude our show and uh, conclude our tribute um, this week, anyway, to the great, late Ornette Coleman, who was around for 85 years and uh, passed away on June the 11th, much to the shock of the community. But he had been in, in ill health for the last uh, little while. And, of course, uh, 85 is a pretty solid age to be uh, uh, living in. And uh, Ornette did so much in his lifetime and uh, suffered through all the slights and slings and arrows and emerged triumphant and um, retains his status today as a musical visionary and someone who was able to alter our ears and how we perceive music. So here's the final statement this evening by Ornette Coleman and Company.
That's from the Pulitzer Prize-winning album Sound Grammar, which, of course, uh, as you have probably figured out, was recorded live in Germany in 2005 in uh, Ludwigshafen in Germany. And uh, we heard Ornette on not only alto saxophone, but uh, on trumpet as well, with his son Donardo on drums and percussion, Gregory Cohen on bass, and Tony Falanga on bass. Sound grammar. All right. Well, we'd like to thank you very much. And of course, uh, you've been listening for the last uh, hour or so to the music of the late, great Ornette Coleman and uh, his visionary outlook on uh, jazz music. And as I said before, he changed how we, how we perceive this music and uh, opened up so much and contributed so much, and of course, uh, he'll be sorely missed, Ornette Coleman. Thank you very much for being out there. I uh, said that um, the show next week would uh, be the last show in uh, the studio, but uh, this studio, but this show is the last one. We'll be broadcasting from our new premises next week. So, uh, but uh, everything remains the same. And, of course, we'll see you next Monday night, starting at 9 o'clock. I'd like to thank uh, CITR and, of course, um, everyone else for being out there this evening. And I hope that uh, those of you that are uh, going to various events at the Jazz Festival um, fully enjoy it because it's a wonderful festival and a wonderful time of year. The weather's going to be great as well. So thank you for being out there on behalf of uh, The Jazz Show on CITR and yours truly, Gavin Walker. And we'll see you uh, next Monday evening. You are listening, of course, to CITR-FM 101.9 on your FM dial, broadcasting right out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, CITR.ca. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now. Ba-do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee